It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Ken pointed out that it was very good for us to be here. I want to remind us all that this service, as important as it is, and we we set this up, the, the elders have called us together to worship on this day. This is the starting point. We're rightly aligning everything this week by beginning with worship of the Almighty. And that this is the launching point for all that we do this week. And I want us to be mindful of that. Um, Do not believe that this service by itself is enough, but you must serve the Lord throughout the whole week. Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks unto you always, but especially during this blessed epiphany season. We thank you that our Lord has come and that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that he is our shield and defender, that in this evil world that we need fear nothing for you are near and you will never leave us or forsake us. Grant us the light of your Son to illuminate us in understanding of your holy word. In Christ's name, amen. So this is the epiphany season. Children, you may have noticed that the manger that was up on the hill is gone. And that today, the only parts of the nativity that are left are the magi out in front of the door. That is to remind us of the fact that God did not call merely Israel to himself, but even in his very... Uh, in, in the very beginning, in his promise to Abraham, and that covenant he set up with him, he talked about how he would bring in the Gentiles. And here we get to see and are reminded by the Magi as the first gifts, not just given to Jesus, but also the first gifts of the Gentiles uh, at the time of Christ. Let us consider this. The word epiphany means manifestation or unveiling. And the Feast of Epiphany, together with the entire Epiphany season, commemorates how the Father revealed the identity and the glory of His Son to the world. Remember that Jesus not only came as a seed of Abraham, but also as the light of revelation to the Gentiles. Thus, the scripture readings during this season focus upon how the glory of Jesus was revealed to the Gentiles as well as to his disciples and Israel. To the Magi from the east, at his baptism in the Jordan, on the Mount of Transfiguration, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Mary, and to the other disciples after his resurrection from the dead, God always takes the initiative in revealing his Son to the world. Epiphany reminds us that we too have been sought out by God that He might reveal the glory of His Son in us. He comes by His word and sacraments revealing the glory of Jesus so that we might grow in His grace and knowledge. Every time we gather for worship, the Lord manifests the glory of His Son in that sense Every service is an epiphany. So this season, which ends on Ash Wednesday, 
calls us to remember that the Lord, that the Lord who reveals himself to us in worship and by his word calls us to live every moment of our lives before his face and for his glory. Now that's the perspective I want us to take. He was coming. He did come. He is coming again. He has illuminated his people. We are part of that illumination and we are to be a light into the world. Let us consider God's word as we think through what this means in our daily life. Let us read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 through 20. <clears throat> uh, it says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler." who will be the shepherd to my people. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So we see this story, and by the way, I, I realized as I was reading this that this has started chapter 2, verse 1. <laughs> so if you didn't pick up on that, um, that, that is our reading for today. But as we look at this, the first thing I want us to recognize, as the Magi are coming to Jerusalem, there is an imposter king. That imposter is Herod the Great. This historical story begins with the Magi coming to Herod the Great. These magi were God-fearers. That's the Gentile designation for followers of Yahweh, the living God. The magi had a false assumption that the rulers and the king over Judea, that's that Roman designation for all the areas of Israel and Judah, would know that the Messiah, the king, sent by God to reconcile the world to himself would be coming and he had come and where he was. This is a caution. Sometimes as Christians we look to leaders and we say, oh, they know what's going on. Let me listen to them. People of God, and we talked about this in Sunday school, Every area of our life should be saturated with God's word. 
And we should be looking to God's word, not only for absolute truth, but for the guidance of what actions to take. Be careful of false kings, of leaders that wish to lead you, that do not serve God. The Magi were disappointed. Herod the Great is an imposter king. First of all, he's an Edomite. That is, and a descendant of Esau. Now you think about this, in God's plan, in his sovereign plan, we know that his blessed plan, the direction that he gave, if, and remember, that, that when God makes the promises to David's household, and you see this in the Psalms, he talks about how he makes this covenant with them, but they have to follow him. There would be um, a, a one, a king who would come, who would reestablish and make everything right, but if they were to, to fail in their worship and obedience to him, that a curse would be put upon them. And part of the curse would be to take the lesser brother, Esau, and put him as king over them. This is really important. God was at work. His word always comes true. Now this imposter king, he rose to power through manipulation, murder, and adultery. Think on this now. He does all those things to to raise to power, to rise to power, to become this great king. And he has a false zeal for the temple. He rebuilds the temple in a glorious manner that it hasn't seen since Solomon's day. He spends great amounts of money building it up, making it beautiful. But it's a false zeal. That is simply taking the Lord's name in vain or empty temple worship. He was building a glorious temple. And in this way, Herod is to have a form of godliness, but returning to the high places of worship of God. That is worshiping God in a way that is not prescribed by God. When you look at the Old Testament, you see the rise and fall of good and wicked kings. Sometimes a king would be a halfway guy. It says that he would restore the worship at the temple, but he didn't take down the high places. What are the high places? The high places were places where the people were going to worship Yahweh, but they were going there to do it how they wanted to do it. This is really, really important. If you've ever wondered why we do our service in a particular way, we have tried to look at God's Word and determine what the pattern of God's Word says, how we should worship Him. And that is why we do the things that we do, why we have the call, why we sing, why we have a confession, why we do the Lord's table every week, why we read God's Word. We are looking at all of these things and we are saying... This is the pattern of God's worship, prescribed by God. This is, in fact, how we're going to do it. But Herod, he builds a great building. He makes it better. People of God, God does bless us with more knowledge, with better technology, with all kinds of 
ways to do things better. The question is, as technology moves forward, as things uh, become available to us, as better understanding, as better tools. I mean, today I have a library of books upstairs. There's quite a few books. I don't know, 600 maybe. All right. But I have access. I've got two screens on my desk so that I can look up and research all kinds of things. I have audiobooks available to me that I can read and listen to all kinds of things. There are websites. We have more access to knowledge today than in any other time in history. Now, that's a wonderful thing as long as we use the tools rightly. So we can make a glorious thing. You know, Lord willing, we're going to have to expand this building at some time in the not so near future. We want it to look nice, but I care much more about the fact we can be in a tin building. If we're worshiping God rightly, that's what matters. Now, that's not to say that we don't want to try to get it to the glorious place. If money were no object, let's build a cathedral that will last. Let's build a stone building that will be here in 400 years if God preserves it. But I'd much rather see that all of us and our children are faithful and our descendants from here are faithful worshipers of the Almighty than what kind of building we worship in. And here, the imposter king, he's trying to win the people over, and he's trying to worship God. He wants the trappings of worshiping Yahweh and going to the temple. But he's disconnected. He wants to worship God in his own way. Consider the indictment of Jesus in Matthew 23, where he says, <clears throat> Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift on the altar or that the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish but the inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgent blind pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, 
obviously in this indictment where Jesus is calling out the scribes and the Pharisees, he is calling out all those that are swearing by the temple. And that includes Herod the Great. As he builds this thing, he's doing this great work. He's building all this great stuff. He builds a port. He builds a, a mighty fortress. He does a lot of things to make the land better. But at the same time, even though he has a form of godliness, he is not worshiping the Almighty. Herod is an antitype of Christ. He sends his first wife and son away, disowning them, when it is not politically self-serving. He later executes his second wife, along with others from his family. <clears throat> Herod built a fortress, a port city, but he really loved his grand gesture, the new and improved temple. Why did the chief priests and scribes not know of Jesus' birth? Now, Jerusalem is not far from Bethlehem, and I can tell you, you know, you, when you were a child, you play that, that word-of-mouth game, you know, someone says something, someone says something. Listen, I can promise you, what does it say about the shepherds after they saw Jesus? It says they went out and they told everybody. It was not a secret that Jesus had come. Do you think that when Simeon and Anna were at the temple, they didn't know what was going on? You don't think the word wasn't in Jerusalem that Jesus had come? I would make a clear argument that those that were seeking, God illuminated his son's coming. Those who had their own agendas in place, they didn't know. So what happened? They were simply on their own agenda and not looking to follow God's word. The scribes and the high priests had made the words of Yahweh an object to be studied and objectified instead of saying that these are the words of the living God. How then should I live? When the Magi ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. Look at what the word says. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Herod was troubled. He knew that a king was uh, supposed to be coming, <clears throat> and he was nervous. Herod had spent his whole life fighting off people that he thought were going to unseat him. He was afraid. But more than this, look at this. It says, and all Jerusalem with him were troubled. What does that tell you? You get a capital city, and people amass around it, and they want to build their lives in such a way that they and their children, in some cases, if they don't destroy them, they want to survive. They want the leadership to stay. They are self-serving. This is really important to recognize that these men who came, the Magi, these were Gentile kingly priests. God was pointing to engrafting the Gentile nations into his kingdom. As a matter of fact, these particular kings, these kingly priests, were foretold in Isaiah chapter 60. It says this, Arise, think about where we are, Epiphany. 
right? God illuminating his son to the world. Arise, shine, for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. For 400 years there's no prophet. So for 400 years the darkness covered the earth, and a deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise, that is, he will appear, he will shine, he will illuminate over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. They're following a star. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see, and this is important, and become radiant. When God illuminates you to the truth of his word, you will see and then through the work of Christ, you will radiate that light out in your household, in your church, and in your community. And your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. And watch this now. And they shall bring gold and incense. And they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now that's interesting. Not only does he talk about kings coming and he talks about the light coming, he even says what gifts they're bringing. God has a plan. Make no mistake. All the noise and difficulty you see in the world around you, God has a plan. This is part of his plan. He is purifying his church and he is calling the lost. Let us... Give him praise as the Magi did. Now listen, this gold, incense, and myrrh, they just seem like kingly gifts or some monetary gifts. But Peter Lightheart points this out. He says this, The interpretation of the coming of the Magi is this. He says, I think it is likely that their gifts point also to someone of a different direction. In the Old Testament, gold, frankincense, and myrrh come together in one place when the priest offers incense and prayers on the altar of incense. The altar of incense was made of gold, and you can see that in Exodus chapter 30. A special blend of incense, including frankincense, was to be burned on the altar of gold, and myrrh was used in the anointing oil that was poured out on the priest and upon the tabernacle and its future. Specifically, the incense itself that is offered on the altar symbolizes the prayers themselves, and in particular, the prayers that turn God from wrath to mercy. The myrrh with which the priest was anointed symbolized the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, even from his conception, anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond measure, and thus was qualified to act as a mediator. It is only the spiritual man who can be the mediator. The gold of the altar of incense points to the glory of God and particularly to the reflection of that glory in created things and in men. It is appropriate that incense, that is prayers, are associated with the altar of golden glory since it is by prayer that men draw near to the glorious throne of God and are transformed in an image of that glory. We can see that God is at work here 
and that Jesus' role is both kingly and priestly, and he is the mediator. Thanks be to God, you and I can pray, and through that, be in relationship to God and be transformed by the Lord. Let's consider the stars. They were following a star. What's going on here? The star brings light. But let us think about the meaning of the star. In Genesis 1, 14, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule, this is important, rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now listen, I, I want to point this out. He sets up the sun and the moon, but he sets the stars in the context of ruling. Stars in the Bible remind us that God has set up rulers, not just for us to know the days and times and seasons, but when you see the word stars, God is pointing towards leadership. God set them in the firmament in the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night. So again, stars are for ruling. And it was also to divide the light from the darkness. Jesus is a king set to rule over all creation and all of time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Seeing that when we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We see that Jesus here is the high priest. We talk about those, the gold and the incense. We see that God has called Jesus to be the king. He's our mediator. And he has passed through the heavens. So let us hold to our confession, our belief. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, and who has become higher than the heavens. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is higher and a greater ruler than any other. And Herod knew that this was coming. We need to understand that Jesus and us as his adopted brothers and sisters, we are the light to the nations. Epiphany is a season of light. The specific event celebrated during Epiphany is the visit of the Magi to the Christ child. But the Magi were always understood as the first fruit of the nations. The Magi were drawn to the Christ child by the light in the sky, a star that dimly revealed the greater light that was Christ himself. And that again is Peter Lightheart commenting on the stars. We need to understand, last week we talked about the curse of blindness in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it talked about groping around in the darkness being blinded. People of God, if we want to see our families transformed, if we want to see this community transformed, we must put Jesus as Lord of all things in our life. No area of our life should be kept back. But we should say, what does God's word say about each and everything that I do? It is important that we recognize that 
It is only through Jesus Christ that light, the light of understanding can be known. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus brings the light, and we become the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. And do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. We the church bring the light of our Father to the world. Again, quoting Lightheart, and I know it seems like, man, I'm beating that, but I just want to tell you, sometimes you got to go to a good source and say, man, they've got this tagged out. It says this, we radiate God's light when we produce the fruit of the Spirit of light. Remember, we spent a whole season looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We, as the people of God, radiate God's light through cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Our love is light in the world. Our joy radiates into the darkness. Our peaceableness is luminous. We shine the light of Christ when we put on patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are light when we we are the light when we expose the darkness. We are light when we stand for justice and truth in the public square at our work, at our homes, and in our churches. We need to consider that Jesus is, in fact, the true king. Jesus is the faithful king. Unlike Herod, remember Herod killed men, women, his own family, and even babies. We know that after the Magi leave, that he is going to kill babies for no reason other than for what? To preserve his own standing as king. He's so afraid of a baby who might be declared the king of Israel that he kills all the children in and around Bethlehem. That's the false king. This is contrasted to Jesus, the true king and bridegroom who lays down our life, his own life for our gain. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep which I have, excuse me, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Again, pointing us to Gentiles, those other than the people of Israel. And it says this, them I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There is no longer the people of Israel and God-fearers. It is one flock, one body, one church. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 tells us this, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. 
But God demonstrates His own love towards us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. People of God, rejoice of what God has done. He brought Jesus. He's illuminated you and I. We need to be the lights of the world. And Jesus, the true King, He's laid Himself down for us that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be transformed and radiate God's glory to the world. Philippians chapter 2 says this, beginning in verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, and that is the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow, and that of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God and Father. Listen, He is Lord, He is King, He is unsettling to all those that want to be kings themselves. Why do the nations rage? Because they want to be God. Why do the, the, the universities promulgate all kinds of lies? Why do they go back to the first question in the garden? Hath God really said? We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. The scoffers from Psalm 1. We don't want to be with the scoffers. Those who question God's word, you need to say, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. No, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's interesting because if you look later in Philippians 2, in verse 14, it says this. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Watch this now. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. People of God, remember, you are shining as lights. You are reflecting God's glory. You are illuminating the world to the truth. This morning during our prayers and petitions, we prayed for the Christians in India under immense persecution. There's persecution of God's church at every corner, some, in some places even to death. Hold firm, plant yourself like it says in Psalm 1, by the rivers of living water and be strong. If we obey God's word, if we meditate on it, if we let that be the lens with which we live, you know what will happen? All that we do will prosper. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus bringing the light of your word to us. Please help us to shine the light of Christ when we put on patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that the world may be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.